Welcome back to the Revolution in Ideology podcast. I'm Jared. I'm Nick. And uh, we are back with a little, with our series Myth is America. Um, and we're right now in the middle of a context where we're kind of doing little biographies on uh, black heroes, uh, especially of the early 1800s, that engaged in agency against oppression and used all types of ways and channels and voices um, and methodology to engage in this idea of agency against the oppression of slavery. We're still in the era of slavery. Thoughts, Nick? Nope. Yeah, I just think it's key that we tell this history, and it's not like any of this is super secret or anything, but if we're doing a series called Myth is America, we clearly have to do this this history. So we just recently did an episode on Nat Turner and the amazing slave rebellion that he was able to leave or the lead and the legacy that he was able to leave. So even though like, yes, technically he ends up executed, the legacy is still there. And that's what we kind of wanted to focus on in the last episode. Now we're moving to a different form of agency. And this episode is focused on the great David Walker. Um, and so uh, before we learn a little bit about David Walker, we want to go through the context of, again, why this is important. Uh, we don't need to do, uh, there's, we don't need to do a long episode here um, or intro here on the transatlantic slave trade and antebellum America and plantation and oppression and systemic racism. We've been talking about that uh, throughout the Myth is America series uh, quite often. So I'm not, I'm going to probably spare that, but I do want to go back through these four main points on why the ethically constitutive story of the United States tends to skip over these great black um, and also female and also uh, indigenous heroes um, or really any people of color that don't seem to fit this great white man theory, how and why these individuals are overlooked in America's historical narrative. So there's four main points that we want to bring out. Again, we talked about these with the Nat Turner episode. The first one is this is key. By not investigating the ways oppressed people exerted themselves against their oppressor, the narrative essentially assumes that they were relatively okay with the situation or that they merely persevered quietly until the time was right. This absolves the dominant class, storytellers, and progeny thereof, so again, white people today, of at least some guilt. Real qu quick thoughts on that first note, Nick? Nope. Yeah, I think that's key that to understand that by not telling this history, it sort of implies, if not explicitly states, that blacks were basically okay with being slaves, which is absolutely not true. Perfect. Our second point, as stated above, by not investigating the ways oppressed people exerted themselves against their oppression, the American historical narrative essentially assumes that they were relatively okay with the situation or that they were merely persevered quietly until the time was right. So that's a repeat from above, except here's the difference. This seeks to promote the same reaction for today's people still facing inequality or inequity. It's almost like it's just deal with it that's just the way it is, and people before you had it even worse. Thoughts? It's kind of rationalization there. Yeah, like totally. Yeah, this relates it to like today's inequality and oppression. Um, it's the it's the it's the yeah. old line. Well, at least there's not slavery anymore. Yeah, it makes it so that any kind of oppression today is should be accepted because it's it could always be worse and right? because slaves of the past didn't resist so by skipping over like all of the wonderful resistance movements that we've talked about in myth is america and some that we actually haven't like the stoner rebellion or gabriel's rebellion or nat turner just recently what we're doing here by skipping those skipping over those in k through 12 or in popular media is basically saying like there was no rebellion until uh what's the common narrative until the 1960s when dr king gave a speech and fixed everything like that's the, that's the narrative and it's not a correct narrative it's yeah it makes 
makes it seem as if there isn't a rich and connected history of rebellion against oppression of people of color. Okay. Which there absolutely is. So our third point on why this is important is by controlling the narrative, the storytellers control hero generation. By ignoring the advocates of change that don't fit a certain discourse, gender, or racial profile, it allows the dominant class and their storytellers and their progeny to construct heroes and villains. And what those heroes and villains look, sound, and act like, both past and present. So basically we're casting roles. Yeah, and I think it's a privilege of the white class in this case to be able to decide who is one of those heroes, sort of who gets elevated to that status and who doesn't. The last point is that the encouragement of the docile body comes through by ignoring acts of rebellion in the past. So modern learners that live in imperfect worlds, we all do, um, all of us actually have some sort of bone or two to pick with society and want to know how to make positive change in our society. Um, but by only telling the stories of, of the ways that agents of change made, ch that agents of change used their agency um, in ways that are easily controlled or manipulated by the state, i.e., quote-unquote, like nonviolence or merely giving speeches or whatever, those types of things, by only talking about those and not more aggressive or outside-the-box thinking regarding how to make change, what they're doing is they're seeking to control modern agents of change. I didn't say that one as clearly as I did in the last episode, but I think listeners pick up on it. Nick, you want to clear it up for me? Yeah, by creating a historical narrative and even a modern sort of story that the only types of rebellion were, let's say, nonviolent, you know, peaceful, etc., passive, that it creates this sort of sentiment that those are the only acceptable ways to resist against oppressive situations. And that serves the state because that's really easy to control. Right. In Michel Foucault's words, right, in his words verbatim, that these new individuals may be subjected, used, transformed, and improved. And of course, that comes from comes from discipline and punish. Yep. So again, that's that's what we were hoping to elicit here is is these four main points that we need, of course, to challenge the historical narrative for the oppressor. We need to challenge the historical narrative for the oppressed. We need new heroes, new heroes to teach our youngest people about new a new demographic to see them as heroes, and of course, uh, the encouragement of looking at all possibilities to make change, not just the state-sanctioned versions of which we tend to fall victim to. All right, so let's talk about what agency is. It is the capacity, condition, or state of acting or exerting power. And again, we talked about this with Nat Turner. We've talked about this with even Abigail Adams. We've talked about this with Tecumseh. This idea of exerting power and how that agency can be transferred from the state or the oppressor to those that are oppressed. So let's get right into our agent here. It is David Walker. He was a revolutionary that lived between 1785 and 1830. Now, David Walker's a little different than Nat Turner. David Walker was born free. I have free in air quotes because being uh, black in the uh, 18th and 19th century is never, isn't real freedom. And I would argue it's probably still not real freedom in the 21st century. But regardless, that's a discussion as we move forward in this, this series. Regardless, he is born not a slave, I should say, in Wilmington, North Carolina. And the reason he's not a slave is because the laws that Nick taught us about in a prior episode uh, in the South dictated that you would follow your mother's line in terms of like who, like how, how wh whether or not you were going to be free or not was determined by your mother's side. I guess I should just say that. Um, his mom was free. 
he was, uh, she was inherited and his father was actually dead. Though free is clearly like a subjective term here, we must understand that even growing up, David Walker felt an intense empathy with the, all of the slaves around him, of which, of course, he's in North Carolina, so there are countless slaves around him. In his own words, this is what he had to say. If I remain in this bloody land, I will not live long. I can't remain where I must hear slaves' chains continually and where I must encounter the insults of their hypocritical enslavers. And that comes from uh, the University of North Carolina, right? Their historical source on this. That's a wonderful quote, Nick. What do you think about it? No, yeah, that's good. Good stuff. Um, he witnessed uh, a slave son, like a little boy, well, a teenager, basically forced to whip his mother to death um, because of her transgressions. We don't necessarily know what the transgressions were, and David Walker doesn't like fill us in on these blanks. But like, he had to actually kill and whip his own mother to death. And these are the types of things that he sees growing up in North Carolina. Even as a free black man, this is still going to intensely affect one person. And David Walker is going to be one that uses his voice to advocate for change moving forward. Well, I think that I just want to pause and mention, like, it's never really discussed in this these terms, but we have to understand, like, how traumatic it must have been to be black at this time and potentially i'm not speaking for anyone but it still to this day it's it's a life full of trauma yeah Yeah, i mean we talk about ptsd with soldiers returning from war but like their entire life was this i mean it's think about just seeing that right a boy whipping his mother to death like you would be traumatized for the rest of your life witnessing that and david walker uses his voice he's strong so okay he ends up moving to south carolina a little bit later in life and he becomes very active again in a church so religion comes back and plays a role we've kind of flushed this out a couple of times in various episodes episodes in our more uh, uh ideology and ism side of things where we've actually just looked into religion itself um we've also talked about it in its role within like the nat turner rebellion or the tecumseh's rebellion we see it make another appearance here real quick why does religion keep making appearances in some of these um advocates for change um in their their discourse it's funny because we've talked about this like extensively but how sort of watered down christianity has become like it it is a message of revolt i mean that's what it is and uh i mean we have liberation theology etc but that's by far not the majority of christians don't think in those types of terms but back then if you were looking for something to inform your way of thinking and your your agency in this case your behavior like you it's there if you look for it Absolutely. He ends up uh, becoming active in the African Methodist Church in South Carolina. Um, He also uh, went back and forth to a northern city, so saw a little bit more, quote-unquote, freedom there in Philadelphia, and hung out with some of the uh, uh, affiliated churches in Philadelphia and their church members who were using, in this case, certain biblical verses to advocate for revolt. And if you go through there, you can find in the Bible uh, things that justify slavery, but you can also find things that justify slave revolts. And there are numerous examples from Moses uh, 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 to Daniel, etc. So anyway, we're going to keep moving. Um, but it does speak to this idea that some of these ancient documents, not even ancient documents, even the Constitution itself, like you can cherry pick different parts depending on what side of the story you're trying to rationalize or justify. And that's one of the problems we see with like historical cherry picking of these these famous documents, whether we're talking about constitutions or Bibles or Korans or whatever, like the cherry picking is part of it. I don't see that as a problem here with David Walker because I do agree with Nick that if you look really between the if you read between the lines of of especially the new testament it is a story of revolution 
So the fact that most followers or practitioners of this religion to this day have now become more like the Romans than they have of J.C. himself, I, that speaks to how ethically constituted stories can be narrowed by the state and mm -hmm. manipulated by the state and hijacked by the state. Anyway, um, he ends up ultimately in Boston, Massachusetts in 1825. He ends up getting married there, has a couple of kids, or has some kids, ends up opening a clothing store. Um, his wife, uh, Emily, we think is also a, an escaped slave herself, so already someone that has exerted her own agency by uh, using what we call exit. She left uh, uh, southern slavery, or perhaps even northern slavery, and, and, and basically liberated herself. Um, and by now, uh, Massachusetts as a state has actually already abolished slavery on its own through like judicial decrees and stuff like it, it, that's already happened. So I guess credit Massachusetts, although we've crapped on them in other episodes, but regardless, his rise to prominence takes place in Beantown in Boston. He helped runaway uh, slaves in Boston find refuge. He also fed the poor and needy. Um, he ends up joining the Prince Hall Freemasonry um, Association, which existed specifically to fight discriminatory, tre discriminatory treatment of blacks. So even, the Nor even though like places like Massachusetts and New York had slowly but surely abolished slavery by the early 1800s, um, there is still racism. Like, like you can't legislate attitude. Um, and so discrimination still took place in the North and to this day still takes place in what we consider the free North in New York City or Philadelphia or Detroit or wherever. Um, any thoughts as we kind of continue with this David Walker? No, I think there's so much bio? we could unpack there, but yeah, just a simple statement of like, it's impossible to legislate away oppression. It doesn't happen. Yeah, it's, it's more. It can that. make it's certain things power. illegal, but it can't change the way that people think. Absolutely. He ends up founding a new organization called the Massachusetts General Colored Association, which fought against the colonization of free blacks to Africa. Again, in a prior episode about James Monroe and stuff, we already talked about how this was a thing. Like they were going to send uh, free blacks out of the United States rather than give them equality. They would rather just kick them out back out of the United States and send them back to Africa, which is problematic on so many levels because they are no longer like African. They are American. They live here. They speak English. Um, they have these common practices, but the goal wasn't just to get, it wasn't just racist and removing black people. They thought that these black people that they were moving to Africa would help colonize Western Africa with American ideals. So there was like a two, it was like a double process here of A, getting rid of black people in the United States and B, bringing American ideals to West, West Africa. Yeah, it was like a move of colonization. Yeah, it's gross. It's yeah. absolutely gross. But anyway, David Walker fights that. He fights against that. Okay. He also eventually became the face of abolitionism in New England. Real quick, what's abolitionism? What does that mean? I mean it's a movement against slavery in this case. Okay, absolutely. Um, the abolition of slave, uh, of slave-based society in the United States. He ends up writing for a publication that was out of New York City called the Freedom Journal. And if you are interested in research, you can find some like old, old issues um, or uh, editions of the Free Freedom Journal, um, which basically was an abolitionist new newspaper in New York City. Um, it was the first black-owned run newspaper in the United States. So again, if you're interested in some of this history, it's important for us to give uh, uh, credit to these people that were willing to um, engage in firsts in U.S. history. And in this case, this is the first black-owned newspaper in the United States, and it was out of New York City, and it was called the Freedom Journal. Anyway, David Walker wrote for them. If we are, we also want to give a little bit of a shout-out to a man named Peter Williams Jr. He was the founder of that Freedom Journal um, in 1827. 
David Walker, however, would become more famous for writing his own work. It's one of the most famous works in American history that most Americans have never heard of. It is specifically, in, in, and not just specifically, intentionally, I think is the word I'm looking for, left out of the K-12 curriculum. Intentionally, it is one of the most important documents of the 1800s, and yet most people have never heard of it. It is called An Appeal to the Colored Citizens of the World, and it was published in 1829. Um, its subtitle, and it's a super long title, but in particular and very expressly to those of the United States of America. So if you read the whole title, it is An Appeal to the Colored Citizens of the United States, or excuse me, I'm screwing this up, man. <laughs> An appeal to the colored citizens of the world, but in particular and very expressly to those of the United States of America. Again, why do you think such an important document that we're going to talk about here for a second is like just specifically led, left out of the American narrative? I mean, in a specific case, it, it demonstrates agency, like the, the whole point of this episode. It also demonstrates the intelligence of this black man at the time writing these words, which I think we not. Yeah. Yeah. At the time this was happening, and it still probably happens to this day. Right, people were intentionally leaving out works by blacks because they were still bought into this narrative that they were savages and they were uncivilized and they couldn't possibly think and you know, etc. Advocacy for freedom. So yeah. Americans to this day get all lathered up over like Patrick Henry speeches about give me liberty or give me death, and yet here we see something so much better. Mm -hmm. So much better than anything Sam Adams or a Patrick Henry or any of these other jacks could publish, and yet most people have never heard of it. Yep. Um, wildly important. Anyway, an appeal to the colored citizens of the world came out in 1829. There were four articles inside this appeal. The first one, and these are the titles of them, Our Wretchedness in Consequence of Slavery. The second article is called Our Wretchedness in Consequence of Ignorance. The third one is called Our Wretchedness in, Consequences, in Consequence of the Preachers of the Religion of Jesus Christ. And our fourth article is called Our Wretchedness in Consequence of the Colonizing Plan. So clearly David Walker has four points in this appeal to the colored citizens of the world. The first is to challenge slavery. The second is to challenge ignorance. The third is to reframe the ethically constitutive story of Christianity. And the fourth is to challenge the colonization plan. He goes on to challenge, like I said, slavery, racism, colonization, inequality in the free north, and most importantly, hypocrisy, American hypocrisy. And I love that. Mm -hmm. What did he advocate for? So he's not just challenging the story. He was also an advocate. He advocated for full-blown resistance at uh, all levels, through education, through rebellion. So he's not like nonviolent. Sorry, PC crowd. That's not a thing. Any type of resistance is what he advocated for, but he wanted unification through this document. So again, there, he doesn't put any sort of like parameters on how people engage in their agency. Why do we put parameters on how people engage in agency now? Whether we're talking about social media or the general media, we're putting like, we're literally putting resistance into a box and saying, you have to stay inside this cute little box um, or else like change will never come. Well, I think it functions to make sure that change never comes. As long as people are protesting nonviolently and unwilling to look at the entire scope of available methods, then I would argue change will never come. Absolutely. One of the funnier things in this, and I, to me it is hilarious, 
that he advocated for was white repentance. He argued that if white people read, read, read the, uh, an appeal to the colored citizens of the world in 1829 or 1830, that they better repent because they are hypocrites, uh, especially since many of them called themselves Christians, yet still engaged in slave-based practices. He said that they better repent because if not, they're going to hell for being such hypocrites. And uh, we do know, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus specifically calls out hypocrites. Thoughts? No, I think it's, yeah, like it's you, I think it's good. hilarious. It's so good. It's so good. Anyway, another thing that uh, some scholars have asserted that an appeal to the color citizens of the world also does in the United States, maybe not internationally, but in the United States, it is the birth of black nationalism. That's a powerful statement because a lot of people do credit that to uh, uh, Malcolm uh, Shabazz or X or Little, whatever your preference, uh, or Stokely Carmichael or the Black Panthers themselves um, or Eldridge Cleaver. Regardless, what some historians uh, have, and one in particular, Sterling Stuckey, assert is that actually black nationalism can be dated all the way back to an appeal to the colored citizens of the world. Any thoughts on that? That's kind of a, it's a strong historical assertion, but it also shows the power and import of this document that I was talking about earlier and how this thing is just like ignored. It also points to the fact that, like we've talked about a little bit, the basic like knowledge of the black agency is like civil rights, right? Like, oh, like in the 50s, blacks got mad and then there was a movement. Like, that's completely outrageous. Like, most of these things have a history of hundreds of years of blacks taking agency against slavery. Yeah, the civil rights movement is not a 1950s, 60s, and 70s movement, at least not in our classrooms. The civil rights movement began in the 1400s. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it has gone on for centuries. So that's one of the, again, biggest problems in the American historical narrative is by like compartmentalizing everything. But anyway, um, we could consider maybe he is a jumping off point for the Franz Fanons of the world. Um, who knows? Anyway, what I want to do is talk a little bit uh, about what's inside an appeal to the colored citizens of the world. So I just have a couple of, of quotes and then I just want Nick's thoughts and we'll just go through them. So here's a great quote in the appeal uh, on racism. Did not God make all of us as it seemed best to himself? Would right then has one of us, what right then does one of us have to despise another or to treat him cruel on account of his color, which none but the God who made it can alter? Can there be a greater absurdity in nature and particularly in a free Republican country? What's David Walker saying here? His power. He says only God himself has the power to basically decide what the color of a man's skin is. So how dare we as humans use that as some tool of oppression to divide us and, and so to on. judge. Like yeah. this idea that, that how you were born somehow makes you better or worse than others is clearly like, again, based on the ethically constitutive narratives that, that date back on this point, like millennia for various reasons, like, you know, whatever ancient societies did this with class stratification, patriarchy, etc. But... For a modern audience, this is what I want people to think about. Like, no one, when they're being flown into their mother's womb by the stork or through their father, or whatever you really believe, whatever cute story, but birds and bees and whatever, not a single person can depict, can, can choose how they're born or where they're born. Not a single person can choose that. Not a single person could choose that. So how we use that as some sort of justification or rationalization for our treatment of others or our celebration of ourselves, I'm American. Well, you didn't choose to be born in the United States while someone else chose to be born in Madagascar. Like, that, 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 that that's nothing to be proud and of. Like, like nothing to do with that. Like I explained to my students, like, if you were born somewhere else, you'd be proud to be that, right? It's not like you would have 
Like, you're born in Madagascar, and, like, yeah. America is so awesome, you would just found your way here and be proud to be American. Like, it's nonsensical. Yeah. It, it, you didn't choose to be born white or black or whatever. Like, like no one makes that choice. You didn't get to choose to be born uh, male or female or uh, uh, gay or straight or with, like, these are not, these are not choices people make. And to use these things that nobody has control over, oppressor or oppressed, as ways to justify oppression is absolutely laughable. It's not just laughable, it's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. And, as we like to say on this episode, or on this show, morally bankrupt. Moving forward, let's talk about hypocrisy. This is what David Walker had to say about hypocrisy. That all men are created equal. That all are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See your declaration, Americans. Do you understand your own language? Compare your own language above, extracted from your Declaration of Independence, with your cruelties and murders inflicted by your cruel and unmerciful fathers and yourself on our fathers and on us, men who have better given your law, your fathers or you the least provocation. That's straight up calling out the hypocrisy. Yeah, especially by Thomas Jefferson. Now, David mm -hmm. Walker's not the first to do this. Benjamin Banneker specifically wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson using mm -hmm. that same exact line, like the unalienable rights and life, liberty, and all that other crap that we say we believe in but really don't. Anyway, but David Walker adds fire to it. Benjamin mm -hmm. Banneker flat out says, you're hypocrites. Mm -hmm. Adds straight fire to it. As far as religious appeal, David Walker goes on to say that the pagans, Jews, and Mohammedans, he's trying to say Muslims, uh, he's not trying to, he is, it's just that's not what they used, not the term they used back then, try to make uh, proselytizing, prosel I'm, I'm butchering this right now, let's start this one over. The pagans, Jew, the pagans, Jews, and Muslims try to make proselytites to their religion, and whatever human beings adopt their religion, they extend to them their protection. But Christian Americans not only hinder their fellow creatures, the Africans, but several thousand of them will absolutely beat a colored person nearly to death if they catch him on his knees, supplicating the throne of grace. What's David Walker saying with this one that I butchered? He's saying that most religions, once you convert, offer you their protection. Christianity, in this case, clearly does not. Absolutely not. Absolutely. He also goes on to advocate resistance. Again, and I quote, There are some of the productions of ignorance which we will see practiced among my dear brethren who are held in unjust slavery, slavery and wretchedness by avarice, avariceness and unmerciful tyrants to whom and their hellish deeds I would suffer my life to be taken before I would submit. What is he saying? Do not submit. Mm -hmm. Do not submit. That's a call for action. Yeah, that's strong. He goes on to say, the black slave that once aroused will make him a magnificent fighter. He's essentially pre previewed to that quote. He's saying that like all of the injustice that the slave has endured will actually make him a better fighter. So it's time to fight back. Yep. He goes on to say, remain steadfast. And he, these, this is the quote that I like from being steadfast. Let them commence their attack upon us as they did our brethren in Ohio, drive, driving and beating us from our country and my soul for theirs. They will have enough of it. Let no man of us budge one step and let slaveholders come to beat us from our country. America is more our country than it is the whites. We have enriched it with our blood and tears. That's strong. And I mean, I... Later editions in 1830 even became more bold. 
any kind of like collective thoughts on those quotes? I want to kind of keep moving. This was mm-hmm. meant to be like a shorter episode. I don't know how short it's going to be at this point, but regardless, like any thoughts on those, like the collection of that quote? No, I think it's strong, super strong. And, and like, I don't know how, what mental gymnastics you have to do to argue against any of those. Like, and, but we can see why it might be ignored oh, in yeah. the U.S. ethically constitutive narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dirty South... The, South, the Southern publishers do everything they can to keep this thing out of publication. Um, you were arrested for merely dis, uh, for distribution. If you merely had this on you or you were trying to sell it, you would be arrested, like almost like a war on like publication rather than a war on drugs. Um, Georgia, the state of Georgia, refused free black sailors from even landing in their ports when this thing was published because they feared they might have it on them and spread the word of David Walker. Um, so if you were free and black and you were a sailor, doesn't matter if you're like a sailing for the Navy or whatever, you couldn't land in Georgia during the publication of this. Um, it was officially labeled sedition in most southern, most southern states. And those of you that have heard our prior episode on the Alien and Sedition Acts, you should know what that means. But essentially, they are, the in this case, state governments are overriding the United States Constitution's First Amendment, overriding it, abolishing free press and free speech through labeling this a sedition. Again, this is not the first, nor will it be the last time the United States has basically said the First Amendment does not matter. It's actually an American tradition to shit on the First Amendment. But this is just yet another example. Why are they shitting on the First Amendment here? Because it's not equitably distributed. Exactly. The North Carolina governor, John Owen, and the legislator actually have a meeting in secret after the publication of, uh, of David Walker's appeal. And during this secret meeting, they enact the most repressive measures ever passed um, in that state to control slaves and free blacks. Georgia even put $10,000 on Walker's head alive and 1,000 dead. So again, for merely writing his thoughts on paper in the United States of America, a black man was put, like a bounty was put on his head Mm -hmm. in the United States. And now we're seeing why this is glossed over freedom, in right? history. Freedom, freedom yeah, exactly. and liberty, equality, that's all a thing? Yeah. Yep. Okay. The immediate influence of an appeal to the colored citizens of the world, perhaps it was uh, in a prior episode we talked about Nat Turner's rebe- Rebellion. If you're doing the math here, technically Nat Turner's Rebellion happens after David Walker's appeal by about a year. Um, could it be William Lloyd Garrison's Liberator, which is a more famous like abolitionist publication that I'm hoping some listeners have heard of? Well, William Lloyd Garrison is not the first to publish abolitionist work. It's David Walker. It's Williams, who we already talked about um, with the Freedom Journal. Like, perhaps William Lloyd Garrison saw the efficacy of these publications and decided to create the Liberator. Liberator. Um, anyway, there's immediate influence of David Walker here. He ends up dead in 1830. Now, most historical sources say that he died so early on um, from tuberculosis, but there are some conspiracy theories out there that he was poisoned. I'm not huge on entertaining a lot of conspiracy theories, but I mean, it's not outside, I suppose, the realm of possibility. I'm Mm -hmm. not necessarily willing to take a stand as I've not done enough deep research into this poisoning accusation, but it is out there, just so our listeners are aware. As far as David Walker's legacy, just like we did with Nat Turner, just like we did with Tecumseh, what are your thoughts on the legacy of an appeal to the colored citizens of the world and this amazing revolutionary mind, David Walker? It's another example of someone that, at least through their words, was willing to fight for equality by any means necessary. 
and straight up called out white people for being hypocrites, uh, white Americans specifically for being hypocrites, which I think is so key. Which we think about. We read like Letter from Birmingham Jail, which does the same thing. And, and this is in no way to discredit like Dr. King, but I'm just saying he's not that what I am saying is it's not the first. Mm -hmm. Like we see this, we see this legacy with Marcus Garvey, even before Dr. King and the Harlem Renaissance. And oh my gosh, like there is a long legacy of using argumentation, academics, pop culture, all of these different ways to basically spread a new narrative. And David Walker is one of the most important like steps in that legacy or individuals in that legacy. And it is an absolute crime that he is not celebrated uh, at the same level as some of these others. He is left out of the American historical narrative and it makes this American historical narrative an embarrassment. Well, and I also think it functions to serve the state by fragmenting this history so that when people talk about the struggle for equality for blacks, it starts 50 years ago rather than 500 years ago, which is what it should be very clearly. Absolutely. That's David Walker in a nutshell. Um, please look up. You can find it anywhere. Just Google the PDF, An Appeal to the Colored Citizens of the World by David Walker. It's not super long. It is an amazing primary source. I highly recommend our listeners read it, use it, whatever, uh, spread it. it. It's something that deserves way more, way more credit in uh, the United States uh, historical past. Take us home. Find us online, revolutionideology.com. Uh, you can subscribe to our podcast there or just search Revolution and Ideology Podcast on any of your podcasting apps. Uh, if you're not watching this on YouTube, you can find our YouTube channel, Revolution and Ideology, and subscribe there. We post every episode there and other videos that we use in our courses and just other videos we create in general. Um, if you like what we're doing, share us with your friends so we can help to find more listeners. If you really, really like what we're doing, you can help support us on Patreon, and that helps us to have a little more time and invest a little more into making these episodes happen uh, and spending some time uh, creating quality content. So that's it. I'm Nick. I'm Jared. Later.